From the APR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing you the best of website development and internet marketing for an affordable price. Also brought to you by Shenandoah Newsma of ShenRealEstate.com in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, and Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. As always, if you have any needs in those areas, use our sponsors. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. Today, we got a little bit of a treat. Uh, we don't always have or often have guests. Used to do this you know, back when I did this podcast a little bit differently, uh, and I'll probably start doing this more again, but uh, used to do this a lot, actually, about five years ago. But uh, we're going to have a special guest, someone who is an expert on North Carolina State, and someone who knows that team probably better than anybody. So we're going to first get the inside scoop from the NC State side from him, and then I'll come in and uh, finish up with some more of my thoughts on the matchup and what I think is most likely to happen. But before then, my interview with James Henderson from Inside Pack Sports. And I also did a, a an interview with them over at Inside Pack Sports on my end of things. So if you want to hear the discussion go the other way, you also ought to give their their podcast a listen. It's available through all your usual podcast feeds. And joining me now is James Henderson from Inside Pack Sports, our expert on all things NC State. If you need any intel for this game, you go to Inside Pack Sports to the best place on, on the internet to go see them. Uh, James, thanks for joining us, and uh, thanks for uh, taking the time. Definitely, Jason, always, man. I love talking about this game. So um, just – Quickly, I know NC State this year came into came into the season with a lot of major expectations, and uh, you know that that la- last week, and we you know we already talked you know for your podcast mm-hmm. a little bit about this from the Florida State side. Uh, both teams, you know, came into this last week with very high expectations, high hopes, and then kind of had those hopes dashed a little bit with their first loss of the season. Where do you think NC State is as a team? coming into this game not just psychologically so partly psychologically but also in terms of health and all of that once you get to this part of the season health and depth start to matter a lot where is nc state on uh, on those fronts well i think mentally they're going to be fine i mean they're a lot like florida state in in a sense of i think they are, they'll be able to put this game behind them you we saw this last year from nc state i think they they had three losses and each of them, they came right back and won the next game. And this is a very experienced team on both sides of the ball. So I don't think mental is going to be a problem. Now, they are getting a little banged up, which all teams are at this point. More defense than offense, if I'm being honest. On the offensive side, they've had Trent Penix out, and, and he's a major weapon for them. I mean, you're very familiar with NC State's personnel. He's the one guy, I think, at their skill positions who – often has a mismatch. If you go back to the game against Florida State last year, I think they ran a third and one little swing pass to him as a tight end, and he took it 50 yards for a touchdown. Uh, he's just a guy 6'3", 240, runs 4'4", four, four, former running back, and he's been out since the East Carolina game with a, uh, a, a wrist injury. So I don't know if he'll be back for Florida State. They said four to six weeks. This will be the fifth week. So there's some hope for NC State that he'll be back, but we, we don't know yet on that with him. But offensively, he's the guy from an injury standpoint that's been out. Anthony Smith is another wide receiver, one of their younger wide receivers, really fast. He missed the Clemson game. I do not know if he'll be back. But defensively where they're, is where they're getting banged up, and especially in the secondary. Um, Tyler Baker-Williams, their starting nickel, 
He has been out since uh, Texas Tech. Um, so he's missed the last two games. And, and he up to this point, he's the number one graded defensive back in the ACC, according to PFF. I mean, he was playing at a very, very high level uh, defending slots. He's been out with a lower leg injury. Again, I'm not sure if he'll be back for FSU. There was some thought he would be back for Clemson. So he could be back. And and I wouldn't be surprised to see State try and see if they can get him to go because they're going to be down. Uh, Derek Pitts, for sure, their starting corner uh, for the first half against Florida State due to a targeting call. He's also banged up. And former FSU safety Cyrus Fagan, you know, he, he's been starting at safety for NC State playing at a very high level. He got injured in the second quarter uh, against Clemson, and I thought that was a big injury for State because he's kind of one of their main guys in that secondary, and, and I'm not sure if he'll be back for Florida State as well. So they could potentially be without three uh, starting defensive backs in this game. And that that hurts a ton. I mean, coming into the yeah. coming in coming into the uh, into the into the season, I thought NC State might have the best secondary in the, in the conference. And you know, all of a sudden, with three guys out, the question is, what kind of depth do they have behind those guys? And you know, do you think that how do you think they'll match up against, say, Florida State's wide receivers, which you've seen? I know you know a good bit yeah. about Florida State's personnel on that. How do you see this secondary matching up with them? based on who they're likely to have out there? Well, the thing NC State does from a recruiting standpoint is I feel like they recruit safeties and turn them into corners, right? Like they play big, big corners. And I think for matchups like this against Florida State, that could be a positive. Uh, Aiden White is a six-foot-two corner. He played really well against uh, against Clemson. I think he had the number two defensive back grade in the, in the uh, league this past week, according to PFF. I mean, he's been – He's been probably their best defensive back. Um, I would imagine they try and match him up some on, on uh, Johnny Wilson. They also have six foot three Shaheen Battle. He's really good. So they, they start 6'2", six, 6'3", six, at corner. Derek Pitts, their other corner, he, he's 6'2". He played safety at uh, West Virginia. That's what I mean by transitioning from safety. They just go with more size on the outside. And their safeties tend to be a little smaller, and um, which is kind of odd to see that, right? I mean, you, you generally have more size on the inside. But – they're um, Cyrus Fagan. I think that's going to be one of the ones that's a uh, that's a concern. But the thing for State is last year, Cyrus came into the year for them. The starter played one game and got injured, and so they were able to. They had they started Jakeen Harris for the next eleven games. He's back, so he'll just probably plug into that hole if Cyrus Fagan can't go. So they have a ton of depth in the secondary. I mean, they've got six to eight guys who have I think ten or more starts under their belt. So, I mean, they've been able over the last two or three years just really play a bunch of guys, and I think it's helped them from a depth standpoint. But still, you know, you're not playing your high-end guys, and you know this. That's kind of who you want to have out there. Yeah, and now what they do, of course, is, you know, they've got a distinctive 3-3-5 defense that's, you know, going to put some some different stresses on an offense. But really, you know, as strong as their secondary was thought to be coming into the season – Really, it's their it's their their front six that is the strongest part of this defense at this point. Uh, so, part of the problem that they've had the last couple of years is that their you know best linebackers Drake Thomas, Peyton Wilson, both guys I actually coached against in, in, uh, up here in high school actually. Um, those guys have been hurt. They're healthy this year. Uh, you know they've had they've had in the last couple of years some injuries on the uh, on the defensive line as well. Pretty healthy up front right now, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're really healthy up front right now. Um, trying to think off the top of my head. There's nobody 
in their front seven that's that's even banged up. Uh, they're going to be full go for Florida for Florida State. And you're right. I mean, I think that's the strength probably of their team. You know, I mean, really all three levels they're good on defense. I mean, their defense is high level. They they play Texas Tech at home. I think Texas Tech came into that game with the number one uh, offense in the country from a total offense standpoint. State held them to 14 points. That's just a really, I mean, it's a really tough defense. You know, I mean, at home right now, they're, they've allowed three, 14, and 10 points. And it really wasn't close. You know, like, I, mean, I think Texas Tech crossed the 50 twice before they put the backups in. You know, like, it was, it was, and, and I'm talking about a Texas Tech team who went and won, beat Texas, scoring whatever it was, 34, 37, you know, scored 28 on Kansas State, who's ranked 20th. I mean, they, they, they've got an explosive air raid offense and just didn't have any success. And a lot of it's just what you talked about. It's the dis- disruption up front. What makes State really unique is they are not afraid to go cover zero. Like, they trust you, – you talked about it. As good as their secondary is, they feel they can go cover zero a lot and be fine with it and be comfortable in it and force teams to beat them by applying a ton of pressure on their quarterback and trusting their corners can win one-on-one. All right, you go back to the game against Clemson, it wasn't the corners who – uh, it wasn't the wide receivers who beat NC State in that game from a passing standpoint. It was the tight ends. Their tight ends did a couple of plays, but their wide receivers were really irrelevant. Uh, and, and State's kind of done that pretty much this entire year. And, and I still think you're right. I mean, th- this is where, to me, it gets real with them because I still don't think Clemson, from a wide receiver standpoint, is – I'm saying in air, you know, in air quotes, back, right? Like you think about T. Higgins and Mike Williams. They don't have those types of guys right now. But – Florida State has some really talented wide receivers. So I'm, I'm going to have my eye on that matchup because we know NC State has West Virginia down the, or West uh, Wake Forest down the line. You saw Wake's wide receivers. North Carolina's got some talented wide receivers. So I think it really starts with them against Florida State. But up to this point, I mean, their defense is just smothered teams. And it's really impacted their offense, if I'm being honest. State's a very game-flow-based game team. If they get up on you with two, you know, two scores second quarter, they're shutting it down offensively. They're running, running the football. They're trying to just run the clock out and play defense. And folks will look at their offense and be like, "What the, you know, what's wrong with it? And it's really a lot of it's game flow and opportunity. A crazy stat that they said in the in the Clemson game. Uh, State had played four games up to that point. Devin Leary had 19 passing yards in the fourth quarter going into <laughs> that game against Clemson. I mean, they just don't. And so folks are like, well, what's wrong with Leary, right? And it's like, well, a lot of it's volume and opportunity. You know, they haven't thrown a lot and but that's just the way they play. And it makes it really tough because they're not going they're not going to turn the ball over. They're just saying, you know, we're going to make teams go 80 yards on this defense. And we don't think they can score a touchdown going 80 yards. Yeah, with Florida State being as banged up in the running game as they are and having some of the big play threats that they do. Do you really think that they're you know, that they're going to stick those corners on an island with with Johnny Wilson and and some of no. those guys that, that they have and and say, you know, let let those guys beat us? Or do you see them hanging back a little bit more and just kind of letting that front six try to wreck shop and, and while while keeping those safeties back? Yeah, I don't think they will. Um, I just I just meant they could, right? Like I think that's something and and especially against teams that don't have the FSU talent. Right. Like like I gave you Texas Tech for instance. Texas Tech had a has a really explosive offense, but I don't think NC State felt they would stress them out from the wide receiver standpoint. So they played a ton of man and load in the box and not and didn't really worry about it, and it paid off. I think against FSU, they probably won't do that because they know Wilson is capable of, of hitting a big play, and, and FSU can get behind you. 
I don't think they'll take the risk. I think they'll see can Jordan Travis sustain drives because that's the other thing they like to do. The opposite of, of cover zero. They'll go play, they'll play drop eight for an entire drive and see if your quarterback can read defenses and read schemes and and really try and confuse guys. I mean, they did that a lot with Youngale in this matchup against Clemson and kind of neutralized him a little bit. I mean, I think you'll see State mix it up and give different looks. A lot of it will depend on what they how they view the quarterback in terms of from a mental standpoint, do they think he can see the field? They did a ton of that against Texas Tech as well, play playing coverage. I mean, I think with with FSU, I would be, I would imagine they start off by trying to see if their front can control the run game, playing off coverage, playing their corners back, playing their safeties over the top, and just seeing if FSU can sustain drives and move the ball up the field against them. Yeah, that seems to be the best way to to uh, to think about that. If I'm if I'm scheming against Florida State in this game with their with their personnel, I do wonder. Um, you know, you mentioned Leary in terms of his numbers being down this year. To to me, from the outside, it's just looked like they've just not had the weapons. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, they really have desperately missed Emeka Emezi, uh in particular on the outside. I mean, that guy made so many plays for for NC State over the years. What do you what do you where do you think that is, and how do you think? Uh, things look on the offensive side coming into this game against Florida State. How do you think they'll attack Florida State? Well, if you go back to last year's game, I mean, they hit Florida State with some big plays, and I think that's something they're going to try and do. And honestly, it wasn't a mecca. That was the thing that I thought was interesting when I went back and looked at last year's matchup. Um, You know, I thought, like I talked about the Trent Penix play earlier, um, I know C.J. Riley had had a big explosive against them, one of their speed guys. He's not there but they have a comparable option, I think, in Daryl Jones, who they kind of brought in to be a, a rally type. I think you're going to see State try and see if they can hit some big plays. Um, they've been really proficient in the screen game this year. I know when we talked on my podcast, you you mentioned the running backs getting the ball. I mean, State runs a variety of different screens to get their, their backs involved, whether it's middle screens. I mean, they, they do it in different areas. I mean, I, thought, I think they've really improved their screen game. Their, their O-line is very athletic. Um, they came into that Clemson game with one of the best O-lines in the, in the, in the country. I think they were number five nationally in pass blocking. Um, I think second in the ACC in run blocking and against Clemson, it just, it didn't work. And, and part of that was falling behind. You know, if you really look at that Clemson game, it's funny. We were, it was 13, 10 at halftime, right? And you would think, man, both of these defenses are playing good. Well, NC state had scored on two of their three drives and Clemson has scored on three of their four drives. Right. It was just very low possession. I think state had an eight minute drive in that game in that half and a five minute drive. Right. So it's like just time of possession kind of negated a lot of possessions for the two teams. And then in the second half, Clemson got up 10 and you know how it is, man, when you fall behind against a defense like Clemson, uh, Clemson, two scores, you're in trouble. Especially at their place. Yeah. I mean, the night game at their place and you feeling like you got to throw and, it just – it kind of steamrolled on their offense a little bit. And I was just surprised. I was actually surprised it was only 30-20. I mean, Clemson played really clean game. You know, no turnovers. I mean, you go to Clemson and they don't turn the ball over, you don't have a shot, right? I mean, if we're being honest here, if you go into Clemson, you don't have a shot. I always – I was talking about that this week on our boards because a lot of NC State fans like to think back to that 2016 game down there where Kyle Bambard – missed the field goal to win it right before regulation, and they ended up losing it in overtime. Well, if you go and look at that game, State scored 17 points in that game. Clemson had four turnovers and a pick six. 
It's like, and you still only scored 17 points. It's just not easy going there without getting any help and, and give Clemson credit. They didn't give state any, but I, I think against FSU, you're going to see state really try and get the screen game going, try and get their backs involved and, and then see if they can hit some shots. And you mentioned Thayer Thomas. I mean, he had 14, he was targeted 14 times against Clemson. I think he's had a, a big game or two against Florida state here the last couple of years. I don't know if FSU's tweaked some things. I think it was one of the years, maybe 2020, when you told me FSU was really vulnerable at safety or linebacker where he kind of picked them apart. Um, but, he, yeah, he's a guy that I think they're going to try and target heavily for sure. Well, that all makes sense. And, uh, you know, that brings us to the point where I'm going to ask you, what, what do you see happening in this game? It's tough, man, because I have um, – a lot of – I have high expectations for Florida State, right? Like, I, I thought – I was surprised they did not win that Wake Forest game. I was really shocked. Now, you know, after we spoke, it made a little more sense, you know, just in terms of what the injuries they were dealing with and and kind of how things spiraled out a little bit in that second quarter. But I really like what FSU's doing. Um, I just – I just wonder at the end of the day if anybody's beating NC State this year at home. If I'm being honest, I mean, State's got, I think, a 12-game winning streak right now at home. And with the way their defense can play in that environment, I, mean, I feel I figure they're going to score enough points, right? Like I, like I said, I mean, I don't think they're going to even press the, you know, really try and, and crank it up offensively. But, I mean, if they can get to 24, is that enough? You know, like I just think in that environment with that defense, it, it's going to be tough. I still think it's a close game. I mean, I would say I'm thinking maybe 27-20 right? Like something along those lines, 24-20, 24-17 NC State. I mean, I think it's going to be a field goal to a touchdown game. You told me FSU's been struggling to kicker. I know that can be a problem. Chris Dunn is back for NC State. You know, he's the best kicker in program history. You know, he made a 49-yarder last week at Clemson in that environment. I mean, he's not missed this year. So, uh, that could be another positive for State, I think, if, if it's going to be a close game. So, I don't know how you are. I tend to in these close matchups, I, I really kind of favor home teams. And it doesn't always work, but these night games, man, I mean, it, it's tough going into places and win those, winning those games. Yeah, it really is. And Florida State has not exactly had uh, the best of times in visiting Carter-Finley, which is an underrated atmosphere in college football. Uh, and, you know, they've, uh, they, they're, I think three and three in their last six, if I remember right. So, uh, yeah, this will be an interesting one. I do agree. It's going to be a, a very close game. Uh, I'll give my uh, my projection just a little bit later. But, um, but yeah, th- uh, thanks so much for joining uh, joining us here. Uh, always the best in terms of uh, NC State coverage. Uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, Jason, anytime, man. You know that. So a lot of good information there from James Henderson from Inside Pack Sports. Uh, a few things just gleaning from that, just summarizing a few things. Uh, NC State is about as banged up in the secondary as Florida State is in the defensive line. And uh, they've got some definite concerns there in terms of being able to match up with Florida State's wide receivers. What a difference a year makes in that respect. Uh, It's definitely a situation where uh, they're hoping to have a couple guys that are that have been banged up back on the field, but they're not sure how how good to go they are, uh, even if they do get back on the field. So a lot of moving pieces there. Definitely a game where if I'm planning this, and let's just go ahead and talk about Florida State's offense against NC State's defense first, because I think that's really as much as anything where this game hinges. Uh, if anything, if when I'm coming in, if I'm Mike Norvell planning this game, 
I'm coming into this game throwing the rock because I know that they've got they're banged up in the secondary. I feel like I've got some advantages being able to take take some shots against those corners with my big receivers. I think this is a big Johnny Wilson game. If there's any chance, if I this is a game where if I get down into the red zone because of my kicking situation, because of how good their defensive front is and it's one of the best in the ACC, what I'm thinking of doing is, you know, I cross the 25, 20 yard line and I'm already considering taking some shots to the end zone, throwing it up for my big receiver. You know, I get down down to the 10 yard line and I'm running three, three fades. I mean, I, I used to argue for this when I was uh, when I was coaching high school football. And at one point I had I could put a six, four receiver on one side and six, three receiver on the other and a six, five receiver in the slot. And I used to argue with with other offensive staffers saying, look, we're better off just taking three fade shots to the outside and you know these guys I've coached them well on how to how to win that matchup it's a you know at least a 70 30 ball for us and if 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 it's not if it's not caught it's not going to be picked they'll keep it from getting picked and it's probably going to be interference if it's not caught so as far as I'm concerned this is the situation that you that you walk into with Johnny Wilson in this game is you get down into the into the red zone tight zone area and you know, taking two or three shots to the end zone to your big wide receiver starts to look pretty good because I, I don't think you're going to push them around up front. This is not a game where you're just going to going to be able to get inside the 10 yard line and run three times and get, you know, three yards, four yards of carry on each and, and punch it into the end zone. You're going to need to use that advantage like what you did at one point against Wake Forest. And, you know, it felt like against Wake Forest, they could have used Johnny Wilson even more against those those corners and particularly end of the first half, you know, I think they got a little bit too cute trying to, trying to score and play four down territory there in terms of, uh, of, you know, knowing that they, they had about a minute left, knowing that it's second and eight, they run the football that ended up costing them in the wake forest game. To me, it's, it's second and eight there a minute left from the 15 yard line or inside the 15 yard line. You got three shots to the end zone there <laughs> to your big wide receiver and one-on-ones. I mean, Odds are pretty good he's going to come down with one of those three and very bad, very poor odds that it's going to be anything that's going to cost you a possession. So I think that's how you have to play this this game against NC State. You take you you take this more as a we need some chunk plays. We need some we need to score using the the advantages that we have when we get down into the red zone. That's how I'm 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 approaching this game offensively. Don't turn the football over, take your shots. Try to win some big plays in some matchups where maybe they don't have the all their personnel exactly right. I, I think that's the approach here. Uh, I think there will be some ways of potentially cobbling together some some running game on the edges. Uh, I think it's going to be hard to run the football between the tackles here. But this is a game where, you know, if you if you do certain things, you can get guys sort of on that on that edge and. Uh, Ward in particular, I think, has a chance to to get some yardage out there. I, I think this is kind of a tougher game for someone of the style of of uh, of Benson. I may be wrong there, but I, I think this is a game where where Ward really is probably the more likely guy to have a a reasonably decent game on the ground. And I think this is a game where if Jordan Travis is up to it, if he's healthy enough, you've got to turn his legs loose. But you know they play a three-three-five stack, and they're going to get after you up front. And if if 
they're having any difficulty stopping the run, they're going to bring pressure to stop the run. But, you know, the, the key is, I'm not sure they're going to have to do that in this game. Again, they're big up front. They've got three big guys that play on that defensive line. Their linebackers are, you know, 220, 230 plus uh, and, and run well. Uh, I actually coached against uh, Drake Thomas and Peyton Wilson in high school, and both guys can really run and can really hit. They're, they're good players. Wilson at times gets a little undisciplined. He also can be a bit of a dirty player. Uh, so that's, that's where I think you can identify that he plays with a certain lack of discipline on, on the edge. He'll get over aggressive. So if you're going to use some zone read or boot action or reverse action, that sort of thing, you want to go to his side because he'll get sucked in more easily than anybody else on their defense. Just looking for a big play gets a little nosy. Um, so, you know, look for them to take advantage of that on, on the side, wherever number 11 is. But the thing is, he's also a really good pass rusher and, uh, and is a guy that's capable of spying someone like, uh, like Jordan Travis. And, you know, my concern is if he gets one-on-one in the open field and Travis slides, that guy's going to take a shot. So you have to be aware sort of of where he is for a couple of, a couple of different reasons there. But like I said, I think this is a game where you come out and you come out throwing the rock on first down and you, you throw and throw off and and the times that you run the football are, are really on, you know, passing downs, third and long, that sort of thing. You, you basically play for punts at that point. Uh, or if you're going to throw it, you throw, you know, quick back shoulders and things like that to take advantage again of your of potential matchup advantages on the outside. Uh, but you don't hold the football against, against what they're going to be going to be doing. Uh, I do think that Florida state is capable of cobbling together, manufacturing some offense against this defense, just again, because they've got some advantages, I think, outside in this game. And because against odd fronts, if Norvell has anything close to competence at, on the offensive line, he's he's often had a lot of success running G, you know, that sort of thing, uh, where you block down with the play side tackle and you pull the play side guard, uh, doing some of that stuff to uh, basically mash the the three-man line inside and get some one-on-ones against those backers with your with your running backs and if you've got good backs sometimes you can you can make plays there so I think you will see some of that stuff but like I said I think this is a big play game for the for the offense where it's a feast or famine game I should say for the Florida State offense and then they've they're just going to have to make 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 it count when they get inside the 25 yard line and do that with touchdowns which is probably going to have to be through the air so that's how I would play it uh I don't think that this is going to be, you know, anything close to the offensive output in terms of yards per play that that you saw against Wake Forest. This is a much better defense. This might be the best defense that Florida State has played so far this year. I mean, they have not given up over what 5.63 yards per play to any team on the year and that was in the opener uh at East Carolina before they kind of found their feet. Gave up 5.21 yards per play against Clemson. And you know, that was a win for Clemson, but Clemson had to kick a bunch of field goals in that game. And, you know, if Florida State has to kick four field goals like what Clemson did, Clemson actually, I think, tried five. Florida State's not hitting four or five. You know, Florida State kicks five field goals. They'd be fortunate right now with the way things are going to make two. So, yeah, this is going to have to be a game where they're going to have to get some big plays down the field against that secondary. And I think think NC State knows that. And I think they'll, they'll play soft to protect those corners as the as the counter and they're going to try to force Florida State if if they're smart they're going to try to force Florida State to run on the on that front six 
and you know basically play back and i think what fsu is going to have to do is just use formation and other things to create one-on-ones on the outside anyway that's basically what you have to do but you know I, like i said i think this might be the best defense that florida state's played even though they've got some, they're banged up a little bit in the secondary uh i think they're in the same same league as as uh lsu in terms of of overall quality of defense and florida state is not as healthy as they were at that point so it's gonna be a tough game offensively uh you know 5.21 yards per play for clemson i think florida state's probably right around five yards a play in this game uh you know five yards a play over five yards a play in this game is probably success uh 5.5 yards per play you know if you if that is 5.5 because you've gotten a couple big plays you know could be enough to win it because when we look at the defensive side yeah, I think NC State is going to have trouble moving the football in this game as well. This is going to be an ugly game, uh, at least for people who like offense. It might be a pr- fairly pretty game for people who like to see good defense. Uh, Florida State, though, needs to basically force, it's funny to say this, but they need to force Devin Leary to beat them with his arm. And the good thing for Florida State is that Leary is is pretty close. He's not exactly a statue, but he's you know pretty close to it. And... He's that kind of pocket passer with a big arm without a bunch of receivers who've, who've proven that they can make plays. So to me, in this game, if you're Florida State, you come in and you bracket, you find out wherever they're lining up Thayer Thomas, you bracket him with, with you know a guy inside, a guy outside pretty much all the time. You do not let Thayer Thomas, Thomas uh, beat you. So you can box and one him, essentially. Basically, you uh, you use different uh, versions of, of coverage where you'll have, say, the rest of the secondary in, in zone, but you have the slot corner in man to chase him uh, so that he can't get loose. And you've got, got, you know, basically that creates some natural brackets. You do some of that. You basically commit a safety to, to wherever Thomas is and, and commit to letting your corners win some matchups on the outside. And basically, again, I think you need to force them to show that they can beat you over the top. This is, I think this might be the best opportunity so it's certainly the best opportunity so far this year. It might end up being the best opportunity this year to really get AZ Thomas starters reps to let him earn his stripes as a in terms of playing most of the game. Let him play one on one with with some of those receivers outside. And look, he he's one of those guys that yeah, he's a freshman, and you worry about putting freshman corners out there because you have miscommunications, you have problems sometimes that lead to big plays. But if you just let him go out there and play man match coverage and all he's doing is matching number one and, you know, essentially making sure that he doesn't get beat over the top, he plays plays tight. He's fast enough that he's one of the few guys on on that Florida State's had at corner recently where you're confident that they're not just going to be able to run by him, even if they do have a really good wide receiver outside. And. You know, you don't really see a bunch of their receivers that scare you in terms of, okay, well, you get him in a one-on-one matchup against the freshman and you you don't feel like the freshman's going to hold up. So this might be a game to to really get him more more reps there. But again, I think you, you, you kind of turn your outside corners loose a little bit more in this game and you commit to taking away the run, commit to taking away their uh, their running backs. They, they throw a ton of screens to the running backs, throw to the running backs almost as much as anybody in the country. Uh, Basically, you stop the slot receiver, you stop the the running, you tackle well on the outside. Let your run, your linebackers and safeties handle those those backs when they go to the flat backs. You know, in terms of screen game, some of that stuff, you handle that. And and their offense 
has not been very good. I mean, you look at their their year log, they've played two games against Power 5 competition, Texas Tech and Clemson, and they average 4.43 yards per play against Texas Tech and 4.04 yards per play against Clemson. So, I mean, this is a team where, you know, again, Florida State doesn't have Clemson's defense, but they should have pretty close to Texas Tech's defense or better. And, you know, with Jared Verse playing, this this is a better situation for Florida State with the with the less mobile quarterback. They're in position to be able to to limit this offense, which has really struggled running the football. You know, they, they might be able to hold them to, you know, under 4.5 or, you know, right in that same four yard per, per play range as what Clemson did. You keep them from from getting big plays. You let your corners win out outside and you limit them in terms of Thayer Thomas's impact. And th- this is a team that's going to struggle to move the football. And I-, I think you can get pressure on Devin Leary. So, you know, looking at with Jared verse playing, looking at their secondary situation and knowing how much trouble they've had offensively this year in the couple games that they played against power five competition. You know, I really think this is a, this is pretty close to a coin flip game because even though Florida State's going to have trouble blocking them, this is one of those games where their defensive line is just better than your offensive line. You know, I think I think there's enough matchups that that are tilted in Florida State's favor, and I think NC State's going to have enough trouble moving the football that this is a game Florida State can win. I mean, with Verse being in the the shape that he's in, being you know taking another step forward from last week, looks very likely that Robert Scott is going to play at left tackle. And with, again, them being banged up, NC State being banged up in the secondary, you know, I, I've i really come close to talking myself into favoring Florida State in this game. I, I think basically it boils down to two teams. Neither team is going to be able to block the other team up front. I think both teams are going to struggle to run the football. But Florida State's had a little more success doing that so far this year, even again, even in games where you know they've not been uh, all that, where where they have been a bit overmatched up front. And I think FSU has the offensive playmakers outside that NC State does not. So in a lot of respects, Florida State should win this game. But ultimately, I just cannot pull the trigger to to pick FSU to win in Raleigh. It's a tough place to play. And I think this is one of those games where kicker probably matters. Finishing drives is going to be hard against this defense. And unless they really get an outstanding day from wide receivers, just making plays and Jordan Travis putting it in there, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a game where, the team with the better kicker actually has some advantages and NC state has one of the best kickers in the conference. Florida state has really struggled there. I think this is a low scoring game. I think this is basically a coin flip on the road. One turnover could completely swing the outcome of this game. You know, the team that if it's, if one of the teams, it winds up plus one, that team probably wins this game, but ultimately because it's in Raleigh, tough place to play because of the kicking situation right now where basically it's touchdown or bust. I think basically that means 
I'm going to, I'm going to favor NC state, but just slightly in this game. I think it's a low scoring game in the low twenties area. I'm going to go with NC state winning this game 23 to 20, but basically a 50, 50 proposition. It's a, it, it would not surprise me to have either team win. And in a lot of ways, my head still says Florida state should win this game just because again, one of the two teams has better playmakers than the other by quite a, quite a bit. But I just can't get over some of the some of the difficulties in terms of blocking, and that kicking situation is I think a a bigger deal in this kind of game against this this kind of defense than otherwise. We'll see. It's going to be a very interesting Saturday night. As always, I will put up a hot takes podcast shortly after the game finishes. At some point, I'm going to start doing those things live, but still going to record that this one and. Uh, We'll go ahead and wrap there for the preview. Like I said, I'm going to have, I'm going to go with NC state by a hair, but in a game that basically is a coin flip. This has been the unconquered podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The unconquered podcast is brought to you by EPR creations, Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenrealestate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, garage makeovers of Palm beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Post us on social media and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.